Hey, thanks for coming back to check out episode 43. This is a conversation with Bradley Mortensen, who is the CEO, founder of RepCard, and he's also a millennial father and husband, and just an intelligent and all-around good man, so was a lot of fun to connect with him and dive into some subjects like entrepreneurship, being married while being an entrepreneur, and some of the unique uh, variables that come with that, productivity, um, parenting, um, kind of his vision for his software company where he wants to go from here, and many other exciting things. Hope you enjoy. So here with Brad Mortensen, and Brad and I realized that we are just two letters away from being basically the same person, Mortensen <laughs> and Martinson. What do people call you when you're like, when they say that your meal's ready? Like, do people pronounce Mortensen correctly? Um, no, I'd say they spell it like uh, almost with an I, like Mort- Mort- Mortensen. I don't know. Like closer to my name, Mortensen. Mortensen. Yeah. Do you get Martinez? Martinez. I get no. Martinez all the time. Dude, it's because you look Hispanic. No, I'm kidding. It's probably that. I do sometimes wish I was born in a Latin American country, man. It's like so much of, I just love, love Latin America. I love Spanish. I love Latin food, particularly Mexican food. So, you know, anyway. Yeah, same. You speak it too, right? I I, I speak, I, I try to speak it as much as I can. Um, yeah, I do. Where did you learn Spanish? I learned in Chile. On my mission. Chile. So. Okay. Chile, uh, yeah. What part of Chile did you serve in? I was in, uh, in the Southern part in Concepcion. Okay. So I, was, I've had some friends that served in Chile and I just remember them telling me, um, buena, buena compadre. Yeah. Is that a thing? Buena, buena. Si, buena, buena. Y, y, uh, dicen mucha, muchos dichos y hablan yeah. con, um, hablan muy rápido y, Y también uh, dicen po después de todo. Oh, yeah, po. Po. Yeah. Ah, po. Wow. Aún a los argentinos no entendieron los chilenos cuando llegaron uh-huh. a Chile. Entonces, yo decía, ¿cómo yo voy a aprender como, como gringo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> ni, ni hablo el, el idioma. Pero, yeah, it's crazy the difference from one Spanish-speaking country to another. The dichos and... Uh, the accent, the speed at which they talk. I remember when I started getting, you know, somewhat proficient with Spanish, I, I didn't have the privilege of serving a mission in a foreign country. And so it took a little longer for me to get, get proficient with Spanish. But um, I remember thinking I was pretty good. And then I went and got a haircut at a barbershop. I think it was one of the years we were doing summer sales and it was uh, like three or four Colombian guys just these young yeah. Colombian guys, man. And they would start to just rip in Spanish. And I legitimately thought to myself that they must not speak Spanish in Colombia. It just, I couldn't even pick out a word, man. It was crazy. They're just so fast and just seemed like another, another language altogether. Dude, yeah. Those guys, I just was talking um, with a guy from the DR and the guys from uh, Cuba. And it's like, mm. dude, dude, maybe it was so- Cuba. Maybe it was Cuba. Yeah, the Cubans. 
the Colombians um, usually speak you know, a little bit slower, but yeah. The, it's okay, I think it was Cubans, man. That would Cuban that would make a little more sense. And Dominicans, dude. It is like... Maybe it was Dominicans. Man, so I don't even fast. know. <laughs> Every time yeah. you say well, it, like, they're, they're, that, they're, was, they're, that was... They're, they're very similar, yeah. The Dominican mm. and the Cuban Spanish. It's it's like, dude, like I feel like it, it's a big joke. Like everything's a joke. Like you're laughing the whole time. Like at least the dudes that I play yeah. softball with some dudes, and it's like very know, loud, lots of emotion. Yeah. The whole the whole other team was was from the 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 Dominican, they're Dominican, and I was pitching and playing softball. And so they're all like, you know, just chatting with each other, yelling at each other across the field. And I couldn't pick out a word. I was like, dude, I don't know what you're saying. So, yeah. But they were laughing Crazy. all the time. So, well, it's good to talk with you, Brad. And, um, you know, the purpose of doing this podcast is I want to help our people, our peers, our brothers, particularly, um, to reduce interference in their life personal, personal life, family life, business life, so that we can experience more happiness, more, more fulfillment, and uh, ultimately just perform in a more optimal way. And so, you know, getting together with people like you to just talk about things that matter, I think provides um, a good chance that, that people listening to this can pick up on a gem or two that they can apply into their own life. So it's like, perspectives of Brad Mortensen that have helped you be successful, happy, and balanced in your life. Um, and so that's kind of the, the angle, um, from which I approach this, this conversation. And so, yeah. um, so Brad, let's just talk about you for a second. You are a young family man. You are a, a businessman. You're an entrepreneur. And so there's a, a number of things I'd love to ask you about. First, just tell me a little bit about the family, Brad, the family man. What's the, what's the status over there? I think you've got four kids. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I first wanted to thank you for having me on, dude. I, um, yeah, I, I love your content, dude. I love what, what you're doing. I love your mission and, and the things that you talk about, the things that you bring to light. So I appreciate, um, your time and, and appreciate uh, that, man. Not just right now, but you know, it's been a few years since you've been putting out content. So I'm a big, big fan. Um, and uh, yeah, so much thanks that, for that. Um, Brad, the family man, it you know, it's changed a lot over the last, I've been married for 11 years. Um, and uh, you know, we now have four kids. My son, oldest is nine, and then the seven, two, two girls that are seven and four, and then we have a a nine month old little boy. So super blessed to have those guys, um, in my life. And then my, my wife, she's amazing and, uh, lets me do, you know, the entrepreneur life. Um, but mm. with that, um, yeah, it's just crazy trying to, um, trying to make sure that you have, um, I don't like to use the word balance, but that you prioritize your family in your life with a crazy entrepreneur, you know, mindset, it's easy to get lost in the focus and the drive and, um, the entrepreneurship, the demands of work and, uh, to forget about what's most important. And so over the last like six months, there's been a big shift in, in my priority, um, to focus more on my family, more than, than I ever have. Um, and it's been, um, absolutely amazing. 
So hmm. I, I can tell that you've done that or that you've always done that um, just by, um, I think social media sometimes only shows the highlights of people, but I can tell mm -hmm. um, in your content, and your demeanor um, that you do that too. Um, probably at a higher level than, than, than I'm at right now. Um, and you have been a part of the influence on me to, to change that. So I appreciate you for that. Um, and there's been, uh, some other experiences that I had with, um, with Ed Milet. Um, you know, he's a, mm. he's a big, a big name, a big motivational speaker. I'm sure you know who he is. Um, but I was lucky enough to be at a conference where, uh, there was like a VIP group that got to talk to him and do a Q and a. And, um, there was about 150 people in the room and they were doing Q and a. And so I rose my hand and I just said, Hey, Ed, like you've been married for many years. You've been an entrepreneur at a high level. You've grinded, you've been ups and downs, the whole entrepreneur, like, cause your wife always been just super supportive. And, you know, how is your family like, like, how does that work? You know, how's that? And, um, he just broke it down like this. And, and it's something that I've kind of just taken to heart and I've shared it with other people. Um, but he basically said like, there is no such thing as balance in with the work-life balance there's no such thing but there are priorities and at different times in the day there's different areas that you need to focus on you know when it's 10 o'clock in the morning you're supposed to be at your office you're supposed to be hustling you're supposed to be on phone calls and zoom calls you're supposed to be networking building your business growing developing all everything business that's what you're supposed to be doing at that time but when you come home from work and it's 5 30 at night six o'clock whatever time you get home or you're supposed to be home and you get to your car or you're getting out of your car, like it is your job to not walk in the house on the phone and to not walk in the house preoccupied. And it's, you know, he said those first 30 minutes, if you walk in the door, your kids need you right then. They're going to run up to you. They're going to hug your leg. They're going to want to be on you. They're going to want to hang out with dad. And if you're on the phone and you're giving them the finger, like, Hey, one second, one second, one second, like give it 30 seconds, a minute, and they're going to be gone. They're back to mm -hmm. doing whatever they were doing. And so because you want to work for eight to 10 hours, doesn't mean you have to go spend eight to 10 hours with your kids. There doesn't need to be right. that balance of time, but that first 30 minutes, if you're leave your phone in your car and you're hundred percent present, you go and kiss your wife, you hang out with your kids and your family, like in 30 minutes, they're going to be back to doing whatever they were doing before playing with the dolls. They're on, on an iPad They're My son loves fishing. He literally goes in the backyard and will cast his fishing pole into the grass. Like, mm -hmm. um, I bought him all the baseball gear, dude. He casts his fishing pole. So like mm -hmm. if he's doing that, dad comes home, rushes in, tells me about his day. And then, but that minute they feel full, they feel mm -hmm. like they got what they needed and you could almost leave again. You know, not that you need to, or that's what I'm promoting, but like you could almost leave again and they'd be fine. But if you come in and ruin that, that moment, that window where that priority shifted and that moment you walk through that door, your priority is a hundred percent your wife and then your kids. And that's it. Nothing else. Um, and so I think that's a really good point. Um, it seems to be the case that kids thinking about my kids, they don't really have a concept of time. Their concept of time is not super developed. I mean, they're not, you know, my nine-year-old to some extent now, but you know, certainly the younger kids, they're not looking at the clock during the day, thinking about what time it is, you know, measuring things in terms of, you know, how long have I been playing this, building this for? Has it been an hour and a half, two hours? And so one of the things that perhaps doesn't occur to new parents or new dads, you know, is like 
they think, man, how much time did I spend with my kids this week? Or I wish I had more time. They're thinking like hours quantity. And it's like maybe kids in particular measure like disproportionately in quality. Like it's just about the quality of the time. Not that the quantity is irrelevant, but really just to kind of emphasize your point. It's like, yes, when they are in the state of like wanting to just soak up dad, if you just pour it on, then yeah, they don't, they don't want you to sit there with them for hours on hours. Like, yeah, no, but if you, if you, you know, optimize that, that window, I think that's a great, great point that you make. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's a great point that you make too, that like, they don't, I, I, I agree 100%. They're not measuring that, you know, um, you know, years ago I've, I've gone on trips, family trips where I'm still working. I'm still mentally out of this vacation, um, due to whatever the reason, you know, fire drills in the business or whatever, whatever it is, I chose to still work and you're on vacation. You're giving all this quality or sorry, all this quantity of time, yet you're still not, uh, you know, the kids don't feel fulfilled. You know, you're with them for four days, five days, you go to, you know, could go to Disneyland, but they're going to feel it. And so I think they measure, um, you know, time with dad or, or that, that, that feeling not in, you know, in, in that quality, not, not so much in, in the, in the quantity of time. And it comes down to, you know, we get to choose that's, yeah. that's the power of it. Like we get to choose that. And so, you know, I feel like I'm still young Been married for 11 years, you know, but there's maybe people listening to this have been married for two years or five years and they've got a three-year-old son. And, you know, you'd like to say, okay, well, he's young or he doesn't understand, but they do. They, I think kids work more off of a feeling mm-hmm. and more of that quality. And I think the quality is measured by how they feel. Yes. And if you, if they don't feel you could come in um, and not be on the phone, but still just totally checked out, sit on the couch, you know, jump into, uh, you know, some sports, you know, and, um, yeah, uh, you know. yeah I, I heard, I heard it. Uh, I received a piece of advice, um, at one point where it was just emphasized that kids will really not remember much of what you said to them. And so sometimes we say so many things, you know, until we're blue in the face, we're trying to explain, you know, why to do this or why not do that, particularly in like disciplining, you know, like we try yeah. to like, you know, pour all these words on them, you know, pour all these words on your five-year-old on how you explain not to do this, not to do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, But as you and I, if you think back to your childhood, I don't know about you, but it's like, if I think about my mom or my dad, and I was very fortunate to have, you know, grow up in a two-parent household where my parents, you know, loved each other. And um, we had an incredible, incredible family dynamic. And I know that's not everyone's experience. Um, But I, I remember the way I felt about my relationships. And I remember, you know, feelings of certain events, but like the words are largely gone. I don't remember the words. So that that's helpful to remember. It helps me to remember that. Um, when I'm talking to my kids in, at night or I'm with them, you know, it's like, man, they're just going to remember the way they felt about dad. So what's the feeling that I'm helping create, you know, what's the emotional kind of signature that will, that will be here for the long term. It just seems to, to embed itself in the long-term memory, you know, way, way more than, than words yeah. do. Yeah. And I think that that goes, that feeling is kind of how you just, you're describing a feeling right now. You're describing my parents, you know, they, they were in love and they, you know, like the way you described your family right there was, was Mm -hmm. describing that, that feeling. And I think, you know, kids, 
um, yeah, they're, they're going to feel certain things and then they're going to reflect back and say, you know, dad was this or that, not, you know, maybe it's some one liners that you say over and over and over again or something, you know, I could quote my yeah. dad on, on various things, but you know, there's definitely the feeling of how they made you feel. And, um, it's so so- tell me about being married to, uh, to your dear wife. What's your wife's name? Her name is Cheyenne. Cheyenne. So I'm curious, uh, particularly curious about, uh, did she have the idea from the get-go of your relationship that she was marrying an entrepreneur and all the things that come with that? Was that what you were already (laughs) identifying your path as early on or or what's up with that? No. So no, we, we dated a little bit before I, I went on my mission, came home. Um, we got married pretty quick, but I, I came home from my mission in March of 2010 and um, really went and did door-to-door sales that first summer just to get away from her, not because she was annoying or anything. It just I just wanted to be home from your mission because the mission is so like you can't talk to your family. And it's like I wanted to be home and have the ability to hang out but be separated. And so um, she came out and visited a few times. And so we ended up um, getting married. But I had done one summer of door-to-door and, and fell in love with the process of learning more and, and creating a better skill set and, and making more money. Um, but during that summer, I bought a car from one of the guys I worked with. And, um, you know, it was a 90, 94 geo prism had no right mirror. The thing was, uh, no tent. It was just a little, Dude, my dad, my dad drove one of those when I was a kid. <laughs> it might've been a 94. Dude. Yeah. It was just a little beast of a car, 700 bucks. So, um, I told the guy, I said, Hey, I, he was from Utah and he was going to drive it back home from Dallas. And I said, look, man, I'll buy this thing for 700 bucks. If asterisk, if it makes it back to, to Arizona. <laughs> so we mobbed it back together and then I paid for his flight. So I guess, you know, another 150 bucks in a flight. So it cost me 800 bucks, 850 bucks. So she was marrying this young Brad that was just hungry. Didn't really know what I wanted, but I knew that, you know, door to door was fun because it, it, it challenged me and I was able to, to make more money than I, I thought. I could have made anywhere else. I did the whole math. Like back then minimum wage was under 10 bucks. And so 10 bucks was like a decent job, $10 an hour. And I was like, if I could just average like 15 bucks an hour doing this door to door thing, like, like I'd be winning. Like that would have been like a really, that's like one sell a day. And I did the whole like reverse engineer, like what you want to make. And so did pretty well. I, I didn't uh, like crush what it. Were you, what were you selling back then? I was selling pest control that first summer. So it was, was awesome. This, was this 2011 uh, or 2012? 2010 was that. Oh, that 2010. Summer. So nice. was with uh, Insight Marketing, which is now Vantage. So yeah. um, love those guys. I don't really know any of the people that are still there because the guy that was working with me moved on to another company. But um, mm-hmm. super grateful for the opportunity that, that, they, that they gave me and the guy that brought me into that because um, it's changed everything for me. But yeah. So anyways, back my wife was marrying this young uh Brad, um, with a $700 car and just, you know, Hey, you know, she was seeing what was on the inside then, man, she didn't, <laughs> yeah. didn't marry you for your whip. That's yeah. Great. I know. So, um, that helps. How, how many summers did you guys do together? Like after getting so, married? So, um, I was in door to door for 11 years and didn't do it the traditional way with like a ton of summers where we traveled. I got into satellite TV right after that summer and started doing year round door to door. Okay. 
that for five years with TV and then got back into pest control um, and managed um, some teams. And so the teams were out, I would sell locally and then I would travel to visit the teams, but we never traveled as like a married couple to like go to a market and, and sell. It was always, cause I was in the TV for five years, but it was year round. So it was different. Cause it just like business never turned off traditional yeah. corridor. You can kind of turn it off after the summer, but right. So she, she had no idea what she was getting into. Um, neither did I really. Um, but she's just been such a, such a support. And there's been times where it's been really tough. Like I, it, um, you know, sometimes I think people say like, oh, it's, you know, turn this off. Um, people want to act like it's, you know, they've never had an issue, but, um, I don't think that you can really grow or develop if you never, um, face the, the reality of what's going on. So yeah, this is, so a couple, couple thoughts, couple reactions. One is just that I smile when I hear I, I smile at our conversation about door to door because it's funny. Um, I, I, I forget how much I like talking about door to door, like talking about someone's history and door to door. It's just, it's, there's just nostalgia, man. It's just like, I, I think maybe, you know, when I was just in the thick of it, cause I think we have a pretty, you know, somewhat similar track record as far as our tenure in door to door, when you're in the thick of it, maybe you don't feel like this, but but like from my perspective now, it's just like, it's just fun to look back on and talk about, you know, it's like how many summers you did, what markets, where you went. And for people that haven't experienced it, I could imagine them completely not understanding uh, the feeling that I have, you know, like, it's just, yeah, it's, well, it's so like full the, of emotion, man. It's such a, well, there's it's it's just blood, a, sweat and tears, you know? Yeah. And it's, there's such like a genealogy to door to door. It's like, oh, that's, what summer, that's exactly right. With, what company, what industry? Oh, I did you know this guy? Like, and know? it is genealogy, bro. I mean, it goes back to like Adam and Eve, basically. Like, there's just you know, you, tra- you trail it up. There's just a handful, you know, like, dude. Everybody kind of comes down through through a line, through a lineage, you know. Yeah, and so that's yeah. A great way to put oh, it. who was your your manager? Who was your? Re- oh, dude, I remember this guy. Oh, you guys did this this comp structure. Like, there's yeah, it's like your brain. It, it be, it kind of takes over and that's, that's where, um, you know, you know, in our circles, Brad, I'm sure you feel this way. Like it can feel like everyone you talk to everyone you see on social, um, like everyone's done door to door or is still doing it. And it's like, Oh, it's just this common thing. And moving to the East coast, there's been several things have been like eye opening. One of them is just, that this door to door, this, this phenomenon of this door to door industry, it, it's small. Like, right. <laughs> like you get out there outside of kind of the, the sales bubble of Utah, Arizona, Idaho. Um, and people are just like, wait, what? Tell me more. You do what you did. What, what was this? You know? And, uh, yeah. it's, it's funny how we, we form these little, you know, social bubbles. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it really is out, getting outside of, Arizona. And, uh, I did, I did a lot of recruiting outside of just Arizona and, and yeah, like you said, like in different, in different States and people are, they think door to door and they automatically for, for me, my experience, they automatically think like magazine sales. Like, I don't know why, but they're like, I don't know why the magazine oh. sale guy made such an impression, man. Yeah, I know. Right. It's like, so, that's what, that is what people go to that and vacuums. Right. Quick story with that. So I got home from my mission. My buddy reaches out and he's like, yo dude, I'm spraying pest control. Let's catch up. Like just 
nothing to do with door to door. Just hadn't seen him in, in a few years. And he is, he was a pest control technician. So he swings by my house, picks me up and, uh, He's like, dude, so we're going to go out to this neighborhood. He's like, I'm going to be spraying. He's like, dude, if you go want to go knock some of the doors around and we get people like, dude, let's just do a $50 cash job and I'll just spray it, dude. And we'll pocket the money. And I'm like thinking like, does your boss know like that you were like, mm-hmm. like side hustling like his and he's like, yeah, I mean, he doesn't really care. And I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. So like we, he gets to the house. I'm in like jeans and this button down shirt that I thought was so cool at the time and like flip flops. So like no, no freaking attire for pest control, especially now knowing what you're supposed to wear, whatever. So, but confidence is everything, right? So um, at least it can be. So I go up to this door. I'm kind of nervous, but just going for my mission. So I'm like comfortable talking to people, but like did not want to see anyone I knew. Mm -hmm. And I knock on this door and this dude comes out that I knew from my childhood. And I'm like, what? And he's like, Brad, he's like in his underwear, (laughs) in his boxers. I don't just play video games or whatever. And he's like, he's like, Brad. And I'm like, Corey. And I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, what what are you doing out here? And I'm like, got nothing to like sell anything. I'm just like, oh, my buddy's spraying pest control over here. And we were just seeing if some of the neighbors wanted to get sprayed. Like anyways, like, like, and just tried to like not do that. But I like, it was so awkward. And so mm-hmm. we ended up like doing this super awkward exchange. And then it was like, well, we'll see you later, man. And um, three years later, he ended up coming and working for me. No way. Sales guys. And so we reconnected and he's like, dude, do you remember that time you came to my door? And I'm like, yeah, I totally remember. It was super awkward. And uh, it was really weird. I kind of told him what I just told you, like, like why I was even there. And he's like, dude, when you shut the door, I was like, dang, man, did Brad like get into drugs? Like, is he, is he all right? Like, does he need help? Like he had this whole like mindset of like, did Brad fall off the map? And like, I had just gotten home from serving a mission where, you know, you're talking about, you know, Jesus Christ for 24 months. And like, Mm -hmm. just because I knocked on his door and offered him a service, like he assumed that I like fell off the map and like was into drugs. And it was just like, Mm -hmm. so funny. And so outside of, I was in Arizona, but even outside, like people assume door to door is, you know, you're tied to exactly something crazy but um but yeah that's cool man i uh so wrapping up this section on marriage and family a little bit tell me what's um what's something that you and your wife have learned um that you think has made your marriage better stronger more enjoyable that you would tell your early married self? So um, there's two things that come to mind. One of them is uh, lower your pride. So I feel like as men, we're naturally prideful. I think, you know, everyone wants to, they look in the mirror every day and they go out and they they got the sense of pride, like, cool. Like I'm, you know, but, but more than that, I think men have a little bit uh, more of a, just a little bit of pride there. And, and I think it can really, get the best of you. And so, uh, my dad told me before I got married, he said, Brad, you're marrying Cheyenne, but you're also marrying a woman. And he's like, there's women thing things. And then there's Cheyenne things, the things that she does. Cause she's a woman. Like you're not going to, that, that, that doesn't like change. And so he's like, the things that are Cheyenne, like talk to her about it. Like, just be open. Like, you're not going to change her. Like, that's not, you're not there to like change someone, but like just really segment those things out. And I think, the things that just things that have happened, like, I don't know, like the, just the, 
lowering your pride and just really serving her is something that I've done over the past few years and more over the last six months after listening to literally your stuff and Ed Milet and, and some of these other people that just have kind of influenced that and just like it pounding into my head, like just truly putting her first, um, even when, you know, sometimes when you're right, you're wrong, that just that mentality, like that pride kicks in and you want to be right. And it's, and it's right. And it's, you are right. But like, you're still wrong because of the, the spirit of the situation. And I've just given up on that pride. I've, I've just like, like just tried to really push that away. And so I just, I wish I could go back 10 years because now more than ever, we're laughing and joking and having fun with each other. And like, we can now joke and say things because the pride is like not there. Um, so kind of a pointed question here, Brad, but can you give me an example of something that in the past was, um, you know, one of the ways that this pride was manifest, or maybe like a situation that often triggered the Brad's prideful self to come out? Um, or a topic that would, that would spark it or spur it? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of a situation or like a, a certain repetitive thing. I'll just from a concept, um, perspective, I feel like when these, these times would arise, it's almost like I knew the decision I needed to make the, the non-prideful way, mm-hmm. but I would somehow just go down this other path of just, and I would say, um, something back to her or, or just do something that was just like almost immature. Um, and so sometimes when that was like the right thing or you were right, like it felt justified. And sometimes it was just totally just stupid. Like it was just, just totally the wrong thing to say or do and nothing over the top, but it just, it just didn't make her feel like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm proud of this guy. Like, like it was like, it just, it separated more than drew us together, if you will. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I could think of like a perfect example. Um, well, let me give you one. Let me, let me share something that came to my mind and, and might trigger something for you too. So um, everybody, I think everybody knows that uh, money and money problems are at the root of the majority of divorces, they say. Um, it's certainly, uh, you know, something that's thrown around a lot. I would say that at the root of all divorce, it occurs to me that the root of all divorce is at some level selfishness on one or both parts. Um, but probably in the domain of money, um, you know, things can, can tend to be turbulent, um, or selfishness can, can, uh, be made, you know, manifest. So, yeah. It's interesting because you have two people coming together who have been conditioned differently from their own childhood. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that growing up, so to speak, I'm talking after being married, but like in, in my career sense, growing up in the door-to-door sales space, one of the things that it did that I think is really unique is the effect it had on my concept of making money. Um, because a lot of people that go a more traditional route, like, you know, they're in school for eight years, going to specialize in medicine or something like this. They've got the ramen noodle years, you know, 
Right, right. And so they experience like really counting their pennies together and living in a shoebox and these type of things. And a lot of people talk about those being some of their best years, their favorite years, very formative for the relationship. Totally. And we, I, I can remember us struggling like at the very, very beginning of our marriage. When we first got married, she had like 600 bucks and which was, and we needed 500 for our deposit on our apartment in Provo. And I had less than a hundred dollars. Like I had just absolutely nothing. Uh, she had the car. I mean, thank goodness for her. Like we would have just been, you know, asking our parents for money. But after that first year, like we, you know, we just never really went through that ramen noodles phase. And it's just kind of the reality of sales. Like if you jump in with a good group and you work really hard, you know, you can uh, be making professional money very quickly. And so anyway, one of the things that that did, um, and I didn't really see this till looking back later, but just in some ways healthy, in some ways, perhaps unhealthy. There's just this attitude of like, money is just like a faucet. Like you just need more, just, just open up the faucet. I can just go get more. And I think that abundance mentality was something that was ingrained in me early on, especially by some of the leaders that I worked around that I appreciate. Um, It's, and at the same time, um, if my wife would suggest things like, you know, Hey, I, should we set aside money in a little fund for, for this or that, you know, or, um, you know, do you think that, do you think that, you know, I don't know, someday we could go on that, that vacation that so-and-so went on or, um, or, Hey, do you think this is too expensive? I don't know anything like that. My, my young hotshot self, and I'm not saying I'm free of this now, but certainly it was, you know, a lot less developed early on (laughs) would just kind of like puff its chest out and, and just be like, well, what, like, we just do it right now. Like, what what do you mean? Like later or set aside a little fun? Like we can just do it. Like, just, you know, don't, don't even suggest that like we can't do something. So it was like the abundance mindset, but taken so far to where I didn't even want to consider, um, like frugality because I had this fear that if I adopted anything frugal or, or delayed certain expenditures or experiences that it would take away that abundance mindset that I was relying so heavily on. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, <clears throat> what's funny is that I, I, I agree with everything, but f- for me, I'm, I'm that frugal person. Like I'm, I don't know, sometimes I, I I'm, I'm everything but frugal and in moments when I need to like invest in the business and do these things, I'm just kind of like, blindly like like just we need to do this like probably cost too much but we need to do it but like in our in our personal finances i'm very i'm very frugal um and um yeah that it's such a fun topic to talk about because my wife's not like a spender either she's just very much like about like let's do what we need to do right now and and i'm like well let's like manipulate the situation so that we like have to like grind to get through it because you know, I jumped into door to door and never, never worried about money. I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the mentors and people I've had in my life. But like, like you said, if you jump into sales and do it well, and you're with the right people. Um, and this is my quick plug to anyone listening. Like if you're looking to do something and you have any type of like extrovert, like, you, you know, any hustle, like go do door to door, go find, reach out to Alex, me, we'll put you with someone like 
find, find a way to jump into door to door for two years and it will change a lot. But, um, anyways, it, it, uh, the, the frugality of my, in my personal side is kind of annoying sometimes, but, mm. um, with that, you know, when we first got married, um, we had our total, our total, you know, budget. I was the big, you know, the B word, right? Like the budget guy, like, so I had this budget, we had to make, um, 1900 bucks a month to pay all of our bills. And this was everything like from toothpaste, haircut, like insurance, like everything. This wasn't just like bills. This is like all expenses. And then we had taxes and tithing on top of that. So it came out to about 2,200 bucks. And so I told myself, okay, how, how would it be? If I could back on that. Yeah. If I, if I could make 2,200 bucks in the first 10 days of the month, then the rest of the month, I'm working for Brad Mortensen, mm. I'm not working for T-Mobile. I'm not working for freedom communications. Who was the company I worked with? I'm not working for state farm. I'm not, I'm not working for anyone. I'm working for my dreams. And that was like everything to us. We just really mm. focused on trying to, you know, make what we needed to <clears throat> in the first 10 days of the month. And then the rest of the month, uh, that was the time to, to, to build the dreams. And so, um, that's it, cool. Is that something that you, is that, um, mm -hmm. is that something you kept up even as your cost of living, you know, swelled over the years? Is that still um, a thing you like not, consciously think not, about? Not, not perfectly. We did it. We did it for, um, probably about three years. And I remember that first summer, our bank account had hit 10 grand and it was like that five figure, if you want to call it that, like mm -hmm. $10,000 in our bank account. Um, you know, and then a year later, we, you know, we bought our first house and, and it just, it's, it's just, uh, been able to, to leverage that. But, um, I still, I still have some type of that going on. Um, but it's not, it's not as perfect as it should be. You know, it's kind of a reminder that I probably should get back to that. It's, it's I think it's a great way to manipulate and it can change, but I think everyone, especially in sales, like you need to find a way to, to make it work for you and your mm -hmm. goals, and dreams to go buy real estate. Like I'm just a big advocate of buying real estate, um, with your sales money because. Yeah. So, so let's segue into that a little bit then tell me, um, when did you become interested in real estate and, uh, what is your strategy with real estate right now? Yeah. So, um, with that, with that same concept we just talked about where you manipulate your, your, your money, instead of trying to make 2,200 bucks in the month, you try to make it in, uh, you know, a third or a, a half of the month. Mm -hmm. Then you have this other half of the month to go build money to, for me was to buy, to buy real estate. And at first I didn't know what it was I was going to buy. I just wanted to build like this bank account and just wanted to have more money and have the money to do something with it. Um, but I was uneducated. I was, you know, I didn't have like a mentor that was in real estate. I, um, didn't know what I wanted to do. And so, um, a few years later I owned a, a business and we were bringing in a sales team and they were going to be, we were going to be getting apartments for them to sell. And so long story short, real estate was really low at this time apartments for them to live in while they sold while they sold pest. Yeah. Yep. While they sold uh, satellite. Well, we were like, you know what? Like, let's just go buy a house. We can just put bunk beds in every room and we'll bunk them up. So we buy this house, like a five bedroom house. And then they ended up not coming. So we had this house, um, that now didn't, uh, that we didn't know what to do with. And so we just started renting it out to single, single dudes. 
And um, I still own that house today. And so seeing the cash flow in that property was like, holy cow, like I do very little work, you know, monthly to take care of these guys. Like they're just living in this house that's mine and they pay rent. And that concept kicked in then. And so I wish I would have had like some big guru mentor that like showed me this, but it just like happened. It just happened almost like happened to me. And so I was like, wow, this is powerful. And so that kind of got me on the real estate um, train. And so since then, I've just continued to do that same mentality of like grind to pay for your expenses and then anything additional, like um, set yourself up to buy real estate. And so the goal is to buy real estate, put 20% down, avoid the, the, the PMI mm-hmm. and um, have that cash flow. Make sure that the, the mortgage is set up properly so that you can cash flow the property and then just write it. I, I like to buy and hold. Um, I don't own a ton of real estate. I own um, three houses in a cabin. And, and then I own part of an apartment complex in Kansas city that was part of a fund. And so as it's grown and you have more money to work with, like investing into a fund or a syndicate deal where you're buying a bigger property with a collective group of people can be really fun mm-hmm. and exciting because there's just bigger returns and bigger opportunity. There's always the, the, the risk there, but, um, I've loved the sales, um, and entrepreneurship, um, industry because it, it provides that opportunity for you to be on the offense, um, mm-hmm. of finances and not just defense. You know, you can't save your way to wealth. You right. know, you always hear about that school teacher that like becomes a millionaire cause he like did something like, but I, you know, I don't know what he was eating for you know, raising three or four kids and being a school teacher, making 50 grand a year. There's all, I've heard this story from, and I'm like, I'd like to like fact check that. Like, I don't like yeah. not believe it, but I'm like, you know, I'm sure he was doing some other side hustle on top of school teaching that they don't mention or something. Cause there's just like, you just can't save your way to wealth. Yeah. Not- I think, I think if you, you know, if you, <clears throat> I I've, I certainly hear the stories of the, you know, proverbial school teacher that uh, invested their way to wealth, you know, but again, it would have to, you know, if they invested their money wisely, even if someone wasn't making a particularly large income, but they just stuffed money into the S and P 500 and did it for enough years, you know, like, you know, you can have something there, but, but I get what you're saying. Like, um, you know, the opportunity yeah. that exists today and there's a lot of opportunities, but the opportunity inside of something like door to door, um, is the opportunity to speed up the timeline. Yeah. Um, and to create a lot of active income that with the right discipline and strategy, you can convert to passive income. Um, Yeah. Whereas maybe the, the school teacher that we're talking about, right, they might need to work for, you know, 30 plus years and then, you know, have a nest egg on which they can live the same type of lifestyle that they lived before on their teacher salary, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas it's like you see, you know, young guys being able to, um, you know, create 10 years worth of income in in, you know, three years at a time and, um, you know, converting that into passive is, it's cool to see you doing that, man. And, um, and, and, you know, sharing that and teaching other people to do the same. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm no like real estate guru, but I'm just a big advocate of jumping into it and, and, um, you know, find someone that's five, 10 years ahead of yourself and, and ask them a million questions and get that first property. Mm. Um, you know, I see a lot of guys over the years coaching and, and mentoring, um, you know, hundreds of sales reps, like there's, 
they, they, they can make a good amount of money, but it can be a few months after a good summer or after a big paycheck and it's just totally gone. And it just like, it's disheartening because, um, you know, sales is one of the toughest industries, especially door to door and to have nothing to show for it. Um, besides maybe some like wheels on your car and some nice clothes and Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a trip, you know, but if the trip's not with like certain people or like, and it's just like for that social game, just to be able to post, like just it's, it, 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 it's hard to watch. And so I'm a big advocate of, you know, manipulate, manipulating your, your budget to what I said earlier, the, the 10, 15 days working for working for real estate. Like I think there's NFTs and cryptocurrency and all this other stuff. I invested in a few software companies along the way that totally went nowhere. Um, and I'm just like, man, if I had that money back, I would own more real estate. So I'm not saying yeah. that other stuff isn't, isn't good. I think crypto and all that, and, and, uh, it's going to make a lot of billionaires and a lot of, you know, multi multimillionaires. <clears throat> um, but there's just something about real estate that you trade your money for an asset and, and you still own a physical asset. And I think it's, it's stable. It's been around forever. There's nothing going wrong with that. If you want to get into NFT crypto stuff, like awesome you know, as yeah. much as you can before you, before I you... was telling someone this the other day. And again, I'm, you know, don't claim to be any investing or finance guru either, but um, there is something to be said for allowing yourself to have a certain percentage that you get to throw at fun, speculative stuff to scratch the itch so yeah. that those things that uh, <clears throat> kind of have an itch to throw in don't become your main vehicle for investing. Right. So it's like, yeah. if you have just enough, might keep it at bay. And then, you know, you do more boring things uh, with, you know, the majority of what you're investing. Right. Totally. Um, one, just like real practical tactical tool for, you know, people listening that maybe just getting started in sales or whatever is to ask the company that pays you if they can split the deposits into multiple accounts. Um, I was grateful for whoever encouraged me to do that early on in my years at, at Vivint. Um, you know, they had it set up where you could have them put into three different accounts and anything you could do to automate uh, savings that, you know, then you take and put in investing. It just helps so much because human nature, man, it's just crazy. Like if it just, yeah. if it's in your checking account, it's just going to find a way out. But if you can have a certain percentage, yeah. If you can have a certain percentage put into an account for taxes and tithing, so you're good. And then a certain percentage put in for an investing, um, to have it automatic is like, that would be my one piece of advice. Um, that is really good and, advice, man. That is and something that I would have, I wish I had done from year one would be just dude, automatic this percentage non-negotiable can't touch it ever that type of a thing um how did you did you ever did you do anything um to not touch it or was it just like it was there and you could get it or was it like it went into an account that was like in your mom's name or something and like you couldn't like get it unless you like or you had some mentor that was like i don't know like did you do anything yeah or was it i just mean yeah so like most of those years doing sales yeah i just had um <clears throat> it going into three accounts, my business checking account, my business savings account, and my second business savings account. And so, you know, my dad is in wealth management and retirement planning. And so he's in that world and loves that. And so, you know, we just have like our yearly meeting and I would transfer, you know, money from the investment savings account into, into, you know, his hands to manage. But, um, you know, what I've set up now that has worked well for me. And again, nothing too exciting, but is just an automatic transfer uh, from my business account every single week by my, you know, 
my investment guy, which is my dad, right? So they just withdraw money every week and you just don't miss it. You just don't see it. You just, you know, this is all, there's companies that do this to us all day long. You know, it's the car wash that you haven't been to in two months. Like it's working for them and just make it work for you the same way. Commit to a number, you know, have a goal to, you know, increase that number, you know, every six months or every year, whatever you can do. But if you just set it up to be automatic, your new baseline will just be to expect it and you just won't miss that money. But, you know, it's crazy how, you know, compound interest, it's just, it's so powerful if you've got the ingredient of time and, you know, if you're young, you've got a lot of time. Eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. So, um, okay. Let me ask you, I want to know a little bit about your, about rep card and, when in your journey did that idea occur to you? Give us a, an elevator pitch on what RepCard is and what's the revenue model and, um, and where, where do you see it going? Yeah, so <clears throat> the elevator pitch is that, you know, it's a digital business card made for salespeople um, so that they can do automated follow-up and stay uh, informed with what's going on with their leads. You know, if you're in any type of business doing you know, high volume of contacts, whether you're in real estate, door-to-door insurance, car sales, you know, um, an MLM, just where you're talking to people and you need to get out, you know, your reputation. That's what the rep card stands for is your reputation card. And so you put out your reviews, your bio, your face, your logo, your um, video content. Like you can do all this in seconds within our app. So you're literally sending almost like a personal funnel customized to the lead or the prospect or the customer or the recruit, uh, whatever, whatever mm. person you're sending it to, you're sending a custom personalized funnel in seconds. Um, and then you're getting a lot of um, insights to when they open your card, when they interact with your video, you know, you understand what's going on. So that's kind of like the quick concept of rep card. Um, you know, so coming from door to door in 2017, I had four different offices that I was flying around to North Carolina and uh, Texas and Oklahoma um, Arizona and, and Washington. So I was flying all over the country at different parts of the month, visiting these sales teams. And uh, on, on the plane, I didn't have internet. And so I opened up this application called Adobe XD, which allows you to build like app concepts or like a, a prototype. And so mm-hmm. I had this note in my phone with this, just no, just text of this rep card idea. I don't know what it was going to be called, but it just had this, like all these bullet points. And, um, I literally was clearing out my notes, just being like that analytical person. I was like, oh, I got to clean out my notes. And I saw this note and I started to create these app screens and I'd created about 40 of them. And I started to connect them inside of this program. You can connect it, make it almost function like it's a real app. And then I started to show it to people that were in door to door and they're like, I would pay for this. And so I was like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do this. You know, maybe I'll like just give it a go. And so I just jumped in and started developing it. Not myself, but I, I hired a, I had a guy in India that I, I brought on to just start building this app. Um, and there's been some key people along the way that have just continued to, to push me to continue to double down and, and to, to keep going. And, uh, you know, we started to offer it to other businesses outside of, cause it was originally built just for my sales team. And, um, as when did it launch? When, when did you actually launch it? Like, I guess on, on an app store, people could download it and use it. Yeah, we launched um, in the beginning of 2019. So we developed on it for about a year. And then um, 
beta tested it throughout parts of that year. And then uh, we launched at the beginning of 2019 and um, just continued to, to scale it more and more and more. And now that's, that's what I do full time. So um, that's cool. What's, what's the, what's the revenue model? Do people, is it a freemium type model yeah, or what? It's freemium to premium. You can download the app and use it free for life. Um, you know, if you're looking for just a digital business card, something lightweight to just like pass your information, that's a little bit stronger than like texting someone, your like contact CSV file that you can do with an iPhone, like rep card is going to do all of that. And then there's uh, features that you, you know, if you're in sales and you're going to like make money with it, um, then it's going to, it's going to charge a, a monthly fee. Uh, right now it's 15 bucks a month. So it's relatively inexpensive if you're selling anything, you know, even pest control guys are making maybe 150 to $250 a commission. Um, we've had guys make an additional 20, 20, what they call rep card sales during a summer. Mm. Uh, and so 200 bucks a pop, you know, 20 sales, that's, you know, $4,000 additional off of a, you know, $15 a month app. So, um, you know, some of those features just that give you insights to who's opening your card. And, and, you know, if someone opens your card and it said, someone opened your card, but for 15 bucks, it could say that like, you know, Sandra Johnson opened your card. And you're like, that's that lady that had scorpions. And she told me she was going to call me back. And she like, didn't call me back two weeks ago. And now she just opened my card. Like now's the best time to call her. Cause she's now re-engaging. She's hot. Me. She's ready. She's ready yeah. to buy. So, um, you know, when, you know, I was 60, $70,000 into rep card before, like I even knew if the thing was going to work, but I not, knocked the door. I was selling pest control. I knocked the door. A lady had a vivid doorbell and she's like, Hey, like what's going on? I'm not home. And as a sales rep, you're like, Oh, whatever you're inside, you know, like you have this mentality of like, I'm pushing through this like objection. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, well, like, you know, I'm out here. I'm the pest control guy. I'm like, let me just send you my card. That way you can, you know, put a face to the name and whatever. And so she's like, all right. She, she spits her number over the vivid doorbell. And I'm thinking like, shit, this is a fake number. I send her my card. And like two seconds later, I get this notification that she opened it. And I'm like, no kidding, dude. Like it's legit. Either she, some random person opened my card or she did. Anyways, I'm like, cool. I'll be in the area for a little bit. I'll see you later. Um, two weeks later, she opens my card again and I get mm -hmm. this notification. And I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden my phone starts ringing this random number. And so I answer it and I use her name. I'm like, what's up, Sandra? She's like, oh my gosh, you remember my name? And I'm like, yeah, like, how you, how you been? Like acting, you know. How like, could I forget you, Sandra? Like, how could I forget you? We talked over that Vivint doorbell. It was so impactful. <laughs> and so she's like, I had a pest control company. I just moved into this house. They're not coming out. I can't get a hold of them. Like, can you, can you, are you still doing that deal? And I'm like, yeah, I'm actually right in your neighborhood. Of course, you're like 10 miles away. And you're like, I'll be there in like 20 minutes. I'm wrapping up yeah. with a customer or whatever. So I drive over. And her daughter had moved in next door. They had bought houses side by side. So she's there and, you know, sell them both. You know, you make your four or five, 600 bucks, whatever it was. Um, and I was able to sell it at like a higher rate or whatever, because, you know, they, they were, they were buying, they were already, they already bought it. So that was huge validation for you. And man. So I was like, like wow. So would not have, could not have happened without, yeah, I just, without the rep card. I wouldn't have been back in that area. I wouldn't have known she would have called the next guy to come by the next flyer on her door. Maybe she would have got a hold of her company finally. Yeah. And that's when I was like, wow, I think I actually, I got, cause before, like, I'm just very much on like, I don't want to promote something I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I was promoting rep card, but I didn't really know how well it was doing. If it was really bringing business back to the sales rep, but I always talk like, yeah, it's great. Like it puts you in a better position, but I would never say things like, I know it's going to work for you. 
And so there's a question, you know, like, there's a question for you, Brad, if someone already has a database of names and numbers and then they plug into rep card, can they like retroactively basically send something to all those numbers? Can they drop a CSV file into? Yeah. So on our paid version, you can, you can go into repcard.com, not the app, but you, through the, through the portal, you can import a, a CSV file and then you can do a mass text and send your card out to all those, all those records. And let cool. them know what's cool is like they can leave you reviews. And so it's almost like an endorsement on LinkedIn because mm-hmm. the reviews are about Alex, they're about Brad, they're about the rep. And so they're using your name. And then if you're on our, you know, the, the companies can have those reviews generated to their Facebook or Google or Trustpilot, but they stick on the rep's profile for him to leverage on his next sale, his next recruiting, you know, situation. Um, and so you can, you can dump those in and, and send that out. Um, and what, what's cool about Instagram is they recently just allowed you to add links even if you don't have like 10,000 followers. Right. So people will now get rep card. They'll take their URL, which is repcard.com forward slash Brad or Alex, or usually it's your first name and last name, unless you change it. It's like a username. Yeah. It defaults to your first and last name. And so people will go to their Instagram and put it on and say, Hey, if we've ever done business, I'd love for you to click on my, my business card link and leave me a review real quick. It really helped me out. And so they're starting out their profile with like really healthy reviews from people that maybe they haven't talked to. And it like sometimes will even create business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause someone that follows them, you know, that you don't know, like there's people that follow you that you probably haven't talked to in since high school. Um, and I'm sure you've had experience like that. You see someone somewhere and they're like, dude, I love your stuff. And you're like, Oh, like I had no idea that like you even like remembered me. Totally. Um, and so anyways, it's, it's a, yeah, you can add a CSV and do that, but that's just kind of an application side to what people are doing with that. So it's really cool what you're doing, man. And, um, you know, to create leverage for yourself through software. Um, so powerful and, and, and uh, inspiring really that you took an idea and implemented it. And now here you are full time. What's the dream, man? Like, where do you see RepCard going? Um, you know, I, I want it to be like the, kind of like the, the verb of like digital business cards or like that, that, that concept, you know, right now in, in door to door, people are saying, we'll say things like, dude, just send them your rep card, you know, and it's kind of like the whole Kleenex mentality. Like, it's not like right. people hand me a Kleenex, not hand me a tissue. Um, you want to be the category King. I want to be the category King of, of that, uh, you know, that personal like landing page, that digital business card. We almost don't even want to call rep card a digital business card anymore. Cause it does so much more. And there's yeah. a lot of like, lightweight and business cards for a long time were demonized, you know, to some extent still are by sales managers. Right. It's like, yeah, don't give them a business card. You know, the rookies like had a great day, man. Gave out 15 of my cards. Yeah. Yeah. There's always still that you still got to be like, you know, willing to push through an objection and stuff. But now if you send a card, you actually know if they opened it, you know, and to me, a hard no is better than a soft. Yes. Like if you're like, yeah, just give me your card. And I'm like, perfect with COVID. We actually just went digital. What's your first name? Let me just send it to you. What's your phone number? So true. And you're like, you know what, man, I'm just not interested. I just, yeah. I'm just we don't need solar. And what you're like, filter. All right. Yeah. great. See you later. Like on to the next, like, I don't have this emotion of like, I gave away 15 cards and like, and so with rep card, like we just implemented a new feature called the hot contact. So it gauges the people that have interacted with your card in the last seven days and it resurfaces them to a certain part of the app. Mm. on the dashboard. And so now you wake up to like seven contacts or eight contacts or two contacts. You're like, these are the two people I need to call this morning. Cause I know that they've been most engaged with my content. 
Yeah, it's it's way cool. I uh I downloaded the app in anticipation for us talking today because to be honest, it's kind of been I've been aware of it peripherally, but um, but I'm excited to dig in and especially since you can dump uh, a CSV file into it, I've got I'll have some follow up questions for you offline here because I think that's a really really powerful tool, especially now with so many guys selling high ticket items, things like solar. I mean it's crazy to think the number of doors people knock the number of names they've got written down somewhere in the notes or whatever, that data is so valuable, but how many guys capitalize on it? You know, they don't because, but like, if you can, you know, just apply a technology to like, you get one of those things, right. You get one good self-gen deal and it's like, you know, dude, we have a thousand bucks. We had a guy that posted us on Instagram and he's like, rep card just made me $14,000 today. And so, of course, I, I called him because I'm like, I don't want some guy just trying to promote that he's like some bad A like baller that makes all this money that like didn't. Yeah. Like just using rep card as like his like way to like promote. So I, I called him and I was like, dude, tell me about this like $14,000. And he's like, no, like I, I sent a card to some people and th- three weeks ago and two, two people that lived in this area opened my card yesterday and they watched my video. So I got the notification that they opened my card. And I got the notification that they watched my video. So it's like, I could have called him, but I just went back and I went back today and uh, I sold them both. And he had made $14,000 in commissions and he, he deemed it as like a rep card sale. And so I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, dude, it's just so fun to like, um, you know, support and build software that, that helps sales reps. Cause I've been in those shoes for so long and still am, you know, obviously with software, it's not like you don't sell it, but um just supporting and especially the door-to-door guys. I got so much love for the guys that are willing to hustle and, and take that on and, and do it at a high level. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, so for anyone, anyone listening to this, they can just go to rep card on Apple place, Apple, uh, app store or Google play store yeah. and create an account for free on there, huh? Yeah. Create an account you can, you know, schedule a demo. If you've got a team and want to build it out for your team, there's a lot of powerful tools that you do collectively. Um, and a lot of stuff that you avoid, um, in a good way, um, by using, in using it as a team. So, so yeah, that's, that's where you can find us. Beautiful. All right, man. Well, let me ask you this then. And, uh, and then anything that you want to ask or be asked and then we'll wrap. So tell me something about what you, some thing about how you operate that makes you productive or a productivity habit or process that you think gives you an edge. I'm, um, I'm, I guess a, a productivity and, and time management, you know, nerd. I love to pick up new tips and tricks and strategies for efficiency. And so curious if anything comes to mind. Yeah. So that's actually one of my biggest weaknesses is being busy over productive and that, that, that battle. And something that recently uh, has helped a ton. My cousin also owns a software company. He lives in Utah. And he sent me a video and uh, challenged me to be his accountability partner. And it's nothing extravagant. It, it entails a text message at the end of every day. And uh, he says, uh, it started out by saying, today I want to do these three things. One, two, three. And it could be something with his wife. It could be something in business. It was just three things that would define success for that day. And then the next day, um, uh, you know, that day happens. And then at the end of the night at nine o'clock, we both have a reminder 
we text each other and say, hey, today I went one for three. So we put today one slash three or two for three or three for three or zero for three, usually with an emoji if it's zero, because um, uh, we have a good time. And then, then it's like tomorrow, one, two, three. And it's just very clear. We do it seven days a week. Um, and and, and help- you will you will actually say in the text what your three things are? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, let me pull it up here. So he's on like my little, on my iPhone. He's like one of like my pin conversations. And so, um, you know, yesterday I said, uh, to, yesterday I needed to, I was in Texas and I, I was going to Brinks headquarters, um, talking about some rep card stuff. So I needed to hit that appointment and do that. Well, I needed to set up five demos and then plan sprint number four, which is a, a, a a term used in the development world to plan a sprint. It's a, it's a cycle of development, you know? Um, and then his, you know, his are today, you know, background music, record video files and write announcement email. Like they seem like minimal tasks, but they're things that move the business, those pillars mm-hmm. that move business forward and that are maybe in that important urgent category. And it's so easy to get distracted. And now that I've been measuring this for the past two months, um, you know, it's really helped me to focus during the day. I get lost in something else and I'll just be like, I'll kind of just, I always just clap. I just clap once and it kind of like wakes up your mind. And then I'm like, I go back to those three. I'm like, what are those three again? And I just go back to those three. So that's my like productivity. Like, I love that, man. I love that you guys do it daily. Um, I've been doing something similar for several weeks now with my friend Ryan Lee, but we just do a call on Mondays. Um, The idea of daily is cool. Um, and, uh, and I'd love to experiment with that. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. It's yeah. And I've, I've seen you, you post something with like a book, you write down like your three or six things you want to get done that day or something. And it kind of, yeah, my, so big six, I was all about the big six and, um, I have changed it to the, to the big three. So it's right in line with what you've said. Yeah. Um, I'll send you a video offline, um, or, you know, that, of this guy, it's this guy that has way more like knowledge on this, these topics. Um, um, I don't know, I would say influence or whatever, but just has like, a, he studied this stuff. And so he has this little like three, it's like a three or four minute video that talks about just this concept. So my cousin just sent it to me and he's like, Hey, watch this video and tell me if you'd want to be my partner. Cool. Well, it wasn't like, let's change the world and like yeah. together. And it was just like simple and it's changed a lot. What I love about that advice that tip man is that's something that anybody can do anybody listening to this can do that they have at least one person in their life that would be their accountability partner and no matter what they're doing if they're a student or they're working or they're a stay-at-home mom or whatever they could come up with three high leverage activities every day um that's yeah. gold so. yeah my, my wife is uh she her one of her best friends is her sister and so she hasn't set it up yet but she's talked about oh i need to text Brecken and i need to you know um, do this, but I, I, I just keep challenging her. I'm like, Hey, it's, I think it's going to help. Like whether it's, I need to do the laundry today. I want to do the dishes and I want to make sure that the kids feel, uh, you know, welcomed when they come home from school, like whatever, it can be simple, but there's those three wins that I think success is a weird thing to define. And I think it lets you define success and feel accomplished. Um, the times I can text my cousin and say, I went three for three. It's just like, dude, I feel like, you know, in the times I'm zero for three, I feel that, I feel that accountability. I'm like, dang, man, I need to like, you know, step it up. And so um, it's cool. We do it seven days a week. And so even on Sundays with church stuff and other activities, Saturdays with the kids, like, um, you know, 
it's just, it's cool to see him too. Cause we're at a similar stage in our lives. And so, you know, your accountability partner could be anyone, but you know, for me, it's nice cause he's in software and he's also has five kids and they're, you know, anyway, I think they're like 16 to five. So we, our, our ages cross over, but I even get inspiration from him on some certain things, you know, that it's, yeah. it's that power of proximity and, and accountability, that, but it's a simple concept. It's a text. It can be as simple as a text. We rarely chat back and forth. Hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, I think we both just want to keep it simple, but there are times yeah. where like he says something about his software that he needs to get done. I'm like, dude, you guys do that. Like mm -hmm. tell me about that. You know? And he's asked me like, dude, you integrate with this. Like we wanted to do that. How does that work? And so, I mean, you can be strategic with who you choose, but it could be, a right. simple, you know, it could be anyone. So it could be a cool way to get proximity to somebody that, yeah, you don't really have any other basis for a relationship necessarily, but you could inspire them with the idea and find yourself, you know, yeah. texting them every single day for days on end. And you end up, you know, doing something together or, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Great ideas, man. Yeah. People often write things down that they want to do. They write three things down, but then where did they write it? You know, was it in their notes? Was it on their whiteboard? But you, you have the text thread as the ledger, you know, like that's always in front of you. Yeah. So I think that's it's, cool. If you read through it, I mean, you can see what we've been trying to do or what we've done for the past two months now. So anyways, it's sweet, man. Well, I think there's been some good, um, some really good things shared here, man. I think that uh, people listening will be able to for sure grab some value and just sense kind of your energy and, and what you're up to. Um, I know that I've benefited from that. So is there any other question or topic that you want to be asked about or want to ask me about, or that you just want to say kind of like anything you can have the last word, um, of our conversation here? Um, probably just a question for you. Um, what are any, you know, lessons you've learned or tips, tricks, kind of that, just those gold nuggets, um, in your life around your relationship with your wife and, and with your, with your kids? I know we kind of talked about that and a little bit, and it was more about mine or whatever, but I, I, um, I don't know. I've seen like the blessings of really trying to put my family and my wife first, um, more than ever. And I'd love to hear any feedback or any, any things you're doing that, that. Yeah, man. Help, help well, yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity to reflect on some of those things. I mean, you know, I've got five kids and our kids are very similar ages. Oldest is nine and I've been married for 10 years. So we're, we're very similar in those ways. Yeah. You know, a couple of things that stand out are um, day dates with my wife. For years, it was the same model. It was get the babysitter, go out at night, dinner, maybe movie, hurry home before babysitter needs to be home. Yeah. Type of thing. yeah. And there's, it's just so simple, but it's been a novelty to arrange things in such a way where we can go to brunch or go to lunch, or she can come to my office for a little bit, or we can just run errands during the day. And yeah. that's just like, it's just been an exciting thing for us. We find ourselves feeling closer and having more conversations. Um, and, uh, and then another thing with my wife that, that, you know, I've experienced as recently as today is, um, we're very deliberate about certain types of language that we use. I mean, in the coaching that I do and, um, the, the course that I have, a lot of it is based around the concept of ego and true self. And that we're kind of this split 
identity and at any given time, our ego self or our true self is holding the microphone, so to speak. It's the one talking or it's the one making the decisions. And the ego self is the one is the part of us that really wants to be okay, wants to look okay and to feel okay. And so it's very, you know, on the lookout, it's kind of our little bodyguard that wants to be seen as okay, wants to look good um, and win, look good, look right and win. And so we have made an effort and now it has become just absolutely ingrained into the way we communicate, but we'll refer to things like, Hey, my ego was engaged or Hey, my ego was a little upset when you did this, or, you know, look, I know that it's completely my ego when I say this or that. So by turning ourselves in for being in ego and calling it that and saying that it has improved our ability to navigate, you know, any confrontation or disagreement. Um, and that might be hard to grasp until someone practices that. Um, but there's a difference in saying, you know, Hey, sorry that I said what I said yesterday. Um, I didn't mean that there's a little bit of a different angle or flavor to say, Hey, I'm sorry that my ego said those things yesterday and my ego is now disengaged. I've, I've put him to sleep. And right. so now I'm ready to revisit that conversation. Almost like you never had that conversation. You know, the true you didn't, your ego did. And, and so you can acknowledge that and then, you know, say, okay, now can we, can we have that conversation? The other area where that shows up that's interesting is oftentimes, um, and this is for us, at least like, there's times where you are served by not having a certain conversation right now. If you sense that your ego is awake and engaged and alert. So the ego could be described as like a, like a guard dog, for example. And it's like that guard dog is awake and it's barking and it's ready to, to pounce on anything, any input that suggests that, that I'm not okay, that I'm not right, that I'm not smart, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not accepted. And egos just slow everything down. They slow business down. They slow relationships down. They get in the way. They're messy. And so there was a, I can't even recall what the particular subject was, but there was a um, situation not too long ago where my wife kind of opened up this thing for us to have a discussion about something. And I said, you know, if I could turn myself in, I feel like my ego is, is engaged and would be engaged in this conversation. And so if it works for you, can we have this conversation later? I'm going to do my very best to get out of ego. And because we've practiced this and are still practicing this, but she gets that she understands. She's like, okay, yeah. Rather than trying to force a conversation when people's egos are out, because it's like, good luck. And if two people have their egos engaged, I mean, Dude, the, yeah. the likelihood for having a really like productive resolution is low. And the likelihood for having some hurt feelings is high. So that's something that we practice. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, what comes to mind is earlier on the call, I, I've never identified it like that, but I think that's exactly, I love that you speak to that in your, in your course and, and promote that because earlier when I said like that pride, like it's like that moment when your wife says something and you know that you shouldn't say this or do this, but you do it anyways, because like that ego, as you define or that pride kicks in, like it's like, you have that split second to know, but I like how you guys talk about it so that it's almost like yeah, you can, you can 
um, let that be known and, and make sure that um, everyone's on the same page and it doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it allows, it's a little bit more of a high resolution diagnosis of something. So rather than just saying like, Hey, I'm just kind of frustrated right now saying right. my ego is frustrated. It's a little bit higher resolution. If you understand the, the definition behind it, which is that the ego is my subset of my consciousness. It is this entity I live with that I've lived with since I was two or three years old that wants to make sure I feel okay. So what that means then is if you or I feel in this moment, you know, fundamentally okay, fundamentally like accepted, safe, you know, worthy, like in, in its best sense, um, then our true self, you know, the, the, the version of us that we like being and the version of our, us that people like being with and, uh, you know, any really great thing you've ever done, it's probably been because you were being your true self and your ego was not engaged. Um, you know, it's high resolution because it suggests that, okay, what I, what I ought to do is not force myself to not be frustrated or not be jealous or not be irritated. What I ought to do, the logical thing is to restore a feeling of, I am already okay. I have everything that I need. I am whole. I am, you know, not perfect and I'm okay. It's that restoring of that kind of like innate self-worth safety thing. And so the classic example of where our ego would be out in front, you know, barking up a storm, causing a scene is like at a high school reunion. I just think that's like the perfect microcosm, right? It's like your ego is looking around for all this input to see, okay, how do I stack up? Where's my status? Do people think I'm okay? Are they, you know, right? It's just like that, that, that tension, that that's what it feels like. And that ego shows up at various times and to various degrees in our marriages, you know, all the time. And so um, I don't think egoless is possible, frankly, in this life. I don't think that that's even the goal. The goal is ego hyphen less. So I just want to be less often in ego. And I think the closer and closer we can get to mastery, that's the game that, you know, I want to play. So. Yeah. Man, so powerful defining that. Well, Brad, it's been good talking to you, man. And uh, same, honestly. You know, would, would love to do this again and, and get to know you better. Um, I appreciate you um, being open to, to doing this. So, same, dude. So, appreciate just thank you. It. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Okay, brother. Well, we'll talk to you soon. I'll reach out to you offline um, about some of those repair questions. Okay. Sounds good, Alex. Appreciate it, man. Okay, bro. Peace.